in Luke chapter 20 and verse 20, where am I at here? Yeah, 20 and verse 27. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way. I'm not going to preach on love today. Um, I mean, I guess we're going to preach about God. God is love. So there you go. I feel like you got that. Uh, but let's read it. And then I want to pray and encourage you this morning. I don't think we'll uh, be long, but I do believe it's going to be good. Um, verse 27. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned Jesus. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. Also the second and the third took her. In the same way, all seven died and left no children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For all seven had married her. Jesus told them, the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God. Since they are children of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him. Some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well, and they no longer dared to ask him anything. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the comfort and the encouragement that it is to us, the challenge that it is to us. Lord, the, the sufficient scripture that you have given us, sufficient unto everything that we have need of. We thank you for it. We ask that you illuminate it to us today and bless your people in Jesus name. Amen. So we are all, each one of us, going to die. Probably not right now. Probably. Not right now. But we're all going to die. Maybe not this week. Maybe not next week. But we're all going to die. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9 says that it is appointed for people once to die or to die once. And then comes the judgment. So for a Christian, the thought of death or the prospect of death shouldn't evoke uh, terror or despair, uh, but we do think of it with a certain level of apprehension. There, there's a certain level of awe, for lack of a, of a better word, right? And we feel that. We, we know what that feels like. I remember when I was in high school, tragic, great, you know, great guy, terrible situation. He died. And because, you know, I mean, it was a kid in the community had had died. We had a service at the school in the old auditorium at Bearden, which has been torn down now. Uh, it's not there anymore. We we're going to have a service there and uh, all, uh, all of us were going to be pallbearers. And this place wasn't uh, handicap accessible. There were just stairs going into every side of it. And so the funeral director had backed the hearse up to one of the side doors and we're kind of milling around in this little side room over there. And he said, will y'all help me 
uh, bring him in. And so, you know, scoot the casket out, you know, high school guys all the way around it, carry it up the stairs and inside and set it down on that little gurney that they put them on, right? So they can wheel it around once they get it in there. I'll never forget everybody, you carry it in there and set it down on that gurney. And then in unison, every young man around that casket stepped away like this. To the point that somebody even mentioned it. They say, look at that. Everybody just kind of like, sit it down. All right. Why? There was just a feeling of waiting. Like the casket wasn't heavy carrying it in, but there was a weight to that being a casket, right? And there being a body in there that was heavy on us. And we wanted to kind of push away from it. And, and, and we have that when it comes to death. We have a natural aversion to it. Thankfully, God put that in us. It keeps us alive, right? It keeps us from putting ourselves in situations that would be deadly or dangerous without at least knowing what we're doing. Right? He put in us a, a certain level of self-preservation. And, and, and some of that is, is good. That may be a part of it. Uh, but, but I think also deep down, we just don't like death. We, we know that it doesn't belong. We know that it's not right. Um, and, and there's that feeling there of apprehension about it. And that leaks over into so many areas of our life. You think about how much we don't want to look old, right? How many billions of dollars are spent every year to cover up gray hair and, and wrinkles and, and us all try to look like we're in our 20s or early 30s up until death, right? Not to mention plastic surgery and things like that to where we, to where we don't look old. Why? Because what happens to old people? Old people, you know, are closer to, to, to death. I mean, what, what's the worst insult you can give to a lady? Well, you look a lot older than the last time I saw you. What's the biggest compliment? You look so young with your hair like that. Oh my gosh, you look like 10 years younger. And that just crushes. Why? Because we all want that because we want to be as far away from death as we can. I remember that there's a joke about a preacher up in the pulpit. He's just blowing and going. And he says, I want everybody, if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. And everybody in the church raised their hand except one little boy sitting on the front pew. And so he stepped down. And he said, young man, do you not want to go to heaven? And he said, well, yes, sir, I do. But I thought you were getting a group up to go right now. <laughs> And it, I, I was thinking about, and it's just so neat how stuff, as I'm studying specific things, other stuff pops up that just aligns with it. I'm, uh, after I'd finished my notes yesterday, I'm, I'm flipping through Facebook and it showed me a video of a, of a service. They were like a song service in a church and they were singing a song called Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. <laughs> Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. But nobody wants to die. And I was like, that's exactly what it is. We've got this weird tension there. And again, some of it is healthy. It's healthy to have a respect and a regard for the life, the breath of life that God has given us and to be good stewards of that. I mean, he's breathed his life into us. We want to use that well. Uh, we want to use it to the fullest. We want to glorify him and enjoy him. Um, and, and, and so that, that, that's good. But again, part of it is because we still have some questions and we still have some concerns about 
the end of life. And, and that's what was brought before Jesus in this passage. This group, uh, the Sadducees, which we don't have really around anymore, but it, they, they were separate from the Pharisees. They were defined by certain things that they believed in and certain things that they didn't believe in. Kind of like we, we have denominations now where we you know, agree or disagree on some secondary or third level issues. But the Sadducees were a group uh, that were set apart by their specific interpretation of Scripture, the law, and then their theology, how they thought about God. And they were similar to the Pharisees. They were, they were similar, but they were marked by some specific differences. And some of those were the Sadducees denied the resurrection of the body. They said there is no resurrection. They denied the immortality of the soul that the soul lives on past death and they deny the existence of uh, spirits and angels. And so they came to Jesus with this really strange question and maybe it was because they had these unanswered questions or concerns on the inside of them because uh, again, they, they didn't believe there was anything after death. The Sadducees didn't believe that there was a life after death. That's why they were sad, you see. That's waka, waka, waka. But they didn't believe that and they were marked by that. So maybe that's why they brought this to Jesus. Maybe that's why they asked him this wild question because, hey, he's one that has authority. Maybe he can speak to this. Maybe he can clear this up for us. Or maybe, and more likely, they just wanted to trap him and, and, and prove in front of people that they were right and Jesus had no authority to, to discredit him, in other words. And that's what we do when we're fighting belief in something and we've seen it in our lives. We've seen it in lives of people that, that we speak to. Uh, when we're fighting belief, like there's a want to on the inside to believe, but we're not ready to just lay our yes down and say, I believe. Then it, then it comes to, well, you've got to be able to answer this question if I'm going to believe. You've got to be able to explain to me how this specific thing works if I'm going to believe. They, they put a test out there that, that you have to, to pass or Christ has to pass, that God has to pass before they'll believe. And, and that is what the Sadducees were doing here. In other words, you prove it to me. And so they come to him and they said, so it, there's this man whose brother died and he left his wife a widow, but they had no children. And Moses has written to us that in that situation, the brother of the man who died, who left no children, but left his wife a widow, should marry the widow so that she may still have children, so that the man's name would still have an inheritance. That was what was written into uh, the law, which is weird, right? That's strange to us, but it had a divine purpose to make sure that the line of Israel continued and, and grew and Flourished. And then also, instead of me benefiting from the death of my older brother, because the oldest brother got what? The primary inheritance. Instead of me benefiting from him dying, because you could see what might happen there. If the younger brothers benefit from the older brother dying, they're going to probably die at an unusual rate, right? Because people are people. But instead of me benefiting from his death, I'm more focused on his life his prosperity, and then in the inheritance that would come through his name to his wife and to 
his children because that was the widow's only means of survival was to have children who, who could grow and work and do and, and bring, uh, you know, monies. And so it's weird, but it had a divine purpose uh, th to make sure that we were concerned with the survival and the prosperity of our brethren. But then they just take it off the rails. They say, so this man died and he and his wife had no children. So his brother's supposed to marry her, right? That's what Moses told us to do. They loved Moses. The Sadducees loved the writings of Moses. So Moses said, the brother's supposed to marry her. She said, but what if that brother dies before they have any kids? And she's still a widow. She's still without kids. The next brother in line has to marry her. And what if he dies before they have kids? She's still a widow, still has no kids. Then the next brother in line has to marry her. And it goes on down through seven brothers Seven brothers dead, and this woman's still not having any children. And he says, this, which would be pretty, you know, that's sad. Bless this lady's heart to have to live through these seven brothers. Who knows? And this is a hypothetical situation, obviously. But, you know, that, that's tough. And then after about the third or fourth one, you know there's probably going to be an investigation. Somebody's looking into this. But like, yeah, ma'am, I just, this is kind of strange. These men keep dying. You know, the term black widow comes to mind. Why do these guys keep dying? But anyway, they, 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 they draw up this just insane hypothetical situation and said all seven of these brothers have died. She still has no children. Then she dies. And then she enters the afterlife. She, they, they said, who is she married to? Because she was married to all of them. She gets there. All of them are there. Who is she married to? Now, again, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. So what they've done is they've crafted an ex a situation as extreme as they could to try to put weight on this belief that would break it. To test this belief in, in an afterlife, in the resurrection, to see if they could break it. And they said, all of this happened. Seven husbands. She's married all seven of these brothers. Who is she married to in the resurrection? And they were probably real satisfied with themselves. They probably sat back. <laughs> How's he going to answer this one? Because anything he says, right, they would have an argument against. If it's the first one, they'd argue, why not the last one? If it's the last one, they'd argue, why not the first one? And it's just something that they can use to discredit him. But they were speaking to the Savior of the world. And they were going to find that out very quickly because this is Jesus. He's not only going to fix their wagon really good, but he's going to tell us something that's true and comforting about life. And so let, let's reread what he said after they've posed this question to him. In verse 34, it says, Jesus told them the children of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God, since they are children of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living too. Him. Now, I would love to go through and do like a big, deep exposition on the resurrection and life after death and get really down into the details. Look, because there's a lot that I don't know. And, and I would love to, to unearth all of that because that's just my default. If I want to if I'm going to talk about something, I want to be able to talk about it from, you know, A to 
Z, but I've told you before, Jesus set me free from that because he would talk about things just in, uh, in a moment and, and give a truth without giving everything that he knew. He would, he would give what's important. So I want to give you some points today uh, that I believe are important out of his response to these Sadducees uh, that I believe will encourage us. So number one, Jesus affirms that there is a resurrection. He affirms that there is life after we die in this earthly realm. So if we believe in him, we can take comfort in what he said. Because he affirmed there is something after this. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And he told them that there will be life after death in this earthly realm. And then I love what he did. I told you they loved Moses. That was the only thing they took as authority was the writings of Mo the, the written law. They loved it. And so when they came, they said, Moses told us to do this. How, how does that work if what you say about life in the kingdom after this life is true? And who did he appeal to? He quoted Moses back to him. He said, I'm going to quote Moses back to you. And when Moses talked about being at the burning bush, he spoke of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He spoke about them in the present tense. Why? Because in that moment when Moses was standing at the burning bush, there was still an existence for Abraham, for Isaac and for Jacob. Even though they had died hundreds of years before Moses said those words wrote them down being at the burning bush. They had died hundreds of years before. So he affirms there's a resurrection. Jesus is telling us that this life is not all that there is. The life you have right now and the body you're living in right now is not all that there is. You are never going to be, never going to be wiped out of existence. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're never going to be wiped out of existence. You're going to live forever, whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not, you are going to live forever. He didn't say if there is a resurrection, he settled it in what he said. And if we trust Jesus, we trust what he said. And it's supported by this understanding that we have a God who is love, a God of infinite Love would not create people for such a short burst to then erase them from existence just when their spiritual potential, their understanding and awareness of him, their worship of him was beginning to develop. Jesus taught the disciples to pray to God as our father. He used the term Abba, which was like dad. I mean, it was a personal relationship that he talked about, a relationship that is treasured. And would a good father not preserve his children? There is eternal life and enjoyment for those, he says, who are worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection. And we're going to come back to that. Who is it for? It's for those who are worthy to take part in it. Not everybody, 
but those who are worthy to take part. So there is a resurrection. Number two, it will be different and it will be the same. It'll be different and it'll be the same. He says in, in this age, right now on the earth, he said people marry, people are given in marriage, but in the age to come, it won't be necessary. He said, why? Because people are no longer going to die. There will be an immortality like the angels for the children of God. He's telling them you're asking the wrong question. You're focusing on marriage in the age to come. And in the age to come, this marriage relationship, uh, and, which is for what? Reproduction. It is going to be unnecessary. It reminds us that, that marriage isn't the ideal end. Marriage, while great, is not the ideal end. Life with God, everlasting life with him is our ideal end. The Sadducees didn't believe in life after death or that there would be a resurrection, but they weren't the only ones getting a little bit of a school right here because the Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection, but that it would be more of just a continuation of what's going on right here. And he's telling them, you know, it's not going to be like you think it's going to be. So a hypothetical for them would be it's a continuation. There's obviously some problems with that. So the hypothetical there is I get eaten by a bear, tragically. Stephen was eaten by a bear last weekend. Nobody saw it coming. Okay. Kelly is going to remarry. She's already told me. She said that pretty as she is, she's going to have a real good shot at it. She's got three kids, makes it a little bit more difficult. <laughs> but maybe she can, you know, maybe she can trick him. Don't introduce him to the kids until he's, until he's hooked. And I just told her, just don't let him throw away my books. Don't let him do that. I've worked on those. So in the Pharisees idea, I get eaten by the bear. I've gone on to the to, to paradise. And I'm just chilling there. And then one day, Kelly finally shows up, and I'm so excited. This is great. Oh, my gosh, Kelly, you're here. I can't believe it. Who's this? <laughs> Who is? Who's this guy? Right? And so we think about that. We kind of have those thoughts that there's going to be this awkward weirdness for so many people when we get to the resurrection. And Jesus is going, you there's going to be a lot more stuff going on than that. He's like, all of that stuff is just going to fade away into the background because you're a life that you're about to step into when you move from this earthly realm is going to be so much different that those things aren't going to matter. Nobody's going to be concerned with the small things like that. Why? Because what we know about everlasting life, eternal life with him is that we won't be less alive than we are now, but we will be much more alive. That everlasting life is going to be an enhanced life compared to the existence that we know now, because it's going to be an existence of, and I found this quote when I was, it, it, again, just so happened, I'm finishing up a book that took me a long time to read. And at the end of this one that I just read this last week, uh, he's talking about uh, everlasting life. And the quote there was that it'll be an existence 
of both perfect fulfillment and yet also endless activity and newness. Because that's what we have, you know, that, that's kind of the, the weird part to us to picture eternal life. So it's, when we explain it to the kids, they're just like, are we, so is it going to be like church, but we never leave? Like, is that what it's going to be like? Is it going to just be like the worship service, but it doesn't ever stop? Like, I don't understand what it's going to be. And it, it's going to be a life of, at the same time, perfect fulfillment, perfect fulfillment and endless activity and newness. God is so infinite that we will never, even in eternity, get tired of learning new things about him. And at the same time, we'll be completely fulfilled in him. More than we could ever imagine, it will be eternal enjoyment and fulfillment and at the same time, newness, never getting old, never getting tired. Your body will never, you'll never get old, you'll never get tired, but the experience will never get old and you'll never get tired of it. So there will be things that are similar. It'll be the same God, be the same you. You don't stop being you. He doesn't stop being him. But the connection is going to be so much different and so much better. So there will be a life after this. There will be some similarities and there will be some great and glorious differences. And then the third thing is that it will be life in him. I love verse 38. It talks about after Moses said the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Why? Because God is not the God of the dead, but the living and all are alive to him. All are alive to him. In him, all are alive. And we, we, we don't have a full grasp on that. Scripture said, Paul wrote about it. He says, we, we see through a, a, a glass darkly. He, he said, it's like looking in a mirror that has a poor reflection as far as being able to see into the kingdom, either looking in a mirror in the dark or looking in a mirror that's fogged over. I mean, just imagine what kind of mirrors they had. Probably not great ones, right? He says, it's like we're looking in a mirror in the dark or a mirror that's fogged over, but one day we'll see him face to face, just like we can see our own self clearly in a reflection. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill your body. Don't fear those who can bring death upon you. Why? Because he said there's something after that. You need to fear the one who you'll answer to after that happens. Don't fear those who can harm you. Fear the one that you will meet after that happens. Paul said just like a seed is planted in the ground and it grows something that looks different than what it looked like when you put it in the ground, so will it be with you when you die and are buried and your experience after that. It'll, it'll come from that, but it will be different. So it'll be with us. See, we have in our physical body uh, limitations and weaknesses, right? And, and in the resurrection, in the life after this earthly realm, those go away. Those fall away. And the weaknesses, the insufficiency of our body 
doesn't get less as we get older. What happens? It increases. We, 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 we can do less. We can walk less, you know, far as, as we used to be able to. We, we don't have the strength that we did. It, it starts to diminish even while we're still living, right? There's a diminishment of our bodies, of our earthly life. We experience weakness and we experience frailty. It gets to the point where we can't even do the things that we want to do. And that's all death is. It's an end of this body. When my body ends, I can no longer use it. I've gotten pretty good at using it. I can do a lot of stuff with it. But when that happens, I can no longer use it to act upon somebody else. And I can no longer be acted upon. You've got somebody that's gone on ahead of you. You can't hug them around the neck anymore. They can't hug you around the neck anymore. That's what we lose in death. That, that's, that's what we lose. Our mastery of this body, the ability to do the things that it allows us to do. We also lose the vulnerability of it. The vulnerability that we know when we walk in an earthly body. That's what falls away. When you die, that's what's going to be left behind is this flesh and bone, right? But who we are is not going to be there anymore because we do believe in the immortality of your soul. We believe that though your body will still be here, my friend's body was still in that casket. He wasn't in there. He wasn't in there anymore. Who you are, the part of you that's alive in him and to him abides. We don't lose that except how it relates to our experience in this physical body, in this seen world. What it becomes is unrestrained in its experience of his kingdom, unlimited in the experience of his kingdom, where I'm limited right now with this body. At tonight, I'm gonna have to go to sleep. I'm going to be tired. When we get done here, I'm going to have to eat lunch. After then, I may even take a nap. Why? There's some weakness. There's some vulnerability in this body. That's not going to be with me when I get to the other side. Aren't you glad? So there is life after this. And it includes the redemption of our bodies. We don't have time to go into that today. But he gets back everything that he paid for. He gets back everything that he paid for. Nothing is lost to him. There's going to be some things that are the same, many things that are changed, and everything's changing for the better. When you think about some of the things that are changing, you think about Christ and his glorified body after the resurrection. There were things that he did just normal. He ate fish just like we would, right? But he could also just show up in the room without walking through the door. We don't know how to do that yet. He was able to ascend to heaven. Just, there you go. We can't do that. There's going to be some things that are going to be the same. There's going to be some things that are different. And everything that's the same is good. Everything that's different is better. And then it will be truly life in him. Scripture says it's in him that we live and in him that we move and in him that we have our being. And that's a comfort to us that this life isn't all that there is, right? One last thing as we, as we finish up today, and Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come and get ready to play and lead us in singing as we finish up, I want to go back to verse 35. 
Because it says all of this is available. But he says it's available to those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead. Those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry or given in marriage for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are the children of God since they are children of the resurrection. Immortality and life with him, he said, but it's for those who are counted worthy to take part in it, which means that there will be some that are unworthy. And anytime we hear that, we think, oh, man, I know I'm not worthy. I know which group I fall into. But thankfully, we also know in Christ what makes us worthy. Jesus himself said that God what so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Wouldn't know the sting of death, but instead would pass into everlasting life. Paul wrote in Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. Saved from what? Out of darkness into light. We talked about that when we talked about the tax collector and the Pharisee. How are we justified? Is it by the things that we do? Thankfully not. We're justified by grace, His grace, through faith and not of works, lest anybody would be able to brag about it. And so when we come to Christ, we declare He is Lord. We believe in our heart. We're baptized into the body. And then we begin the lifelong process of discipleship. We're growing in him with others. We're helping others grow in him however long we have on this earth. And at the end of it, when we will all die, we cross over into something that's better than we could ever imagine. As a believer and as a Christian, as a child of God, today is the least you will ever know him. That's today. Today is the least you will ever know him compared to life eternal with him. Your greatest day here on this earth is only a shadow, a hint of what you will experience in life with him. Remember, we see through a glass darkly, but one day face to face. A life of an everlasting life of complete fulfillment and also activity and newness mixed together. We're all going to die. And while we still approach that with some awe and some trembling, you know, there's a little apprehension about it. We're not in despair. Because we know there's an other side to death. And on that other side, for those that are counted worthy, who's worthy? Those that are found in Jesus. On the other side of death, we will not be less alive, but we'll be more alive than we've ever known. Amen. Why don't y'all stand up with me?
it's a great comfort to us to know that there's life everlasting in Him. Because when we deal with difficulties here, we know that it's not forever. That it won't always be like this. Your biggest problem in your life, which I would venture to say most of us haven't even experienced yet, but your biggest problem, issue, struggle in your life, whatever it is and however big it is, how's that going to look 10,000 years in the future? It's going to get pretty small, isn't it? And so that perspective covering over what we live now gives us great comfort and great relief. Doesn't make things easier, but it does put inside of us hope. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us hope. That Christ in us is the hope of glory. Thank you that you affirmed in front of everyone that this life isn't all that there is. Paul said, if there is no resurrection, we are most pitiful. He said, if there is no resurrection, then we got the raw end of the deal. But you've told us that there is a resurrection, that there is life for us on the other side of our last enemy. And death has been defeated and had its power stripped from it when it comes to the children of God. We still face it. It's still a fight, but we know that in you we win. And I thank you that you have gone ahead to prepare a place for us that is better than we could ever imagine, that we could ever conceive of. And I thank you that that'll comfort us today. That'll comfort us tomorrow. That'll comfort us as we deal with the struggles and difficulties of life to know that we're here to follow you, to love you and love others. And when this is over, we move into life eternal with you. Everlasting life with you starts now and lasts for forever. And we thank you for that gracious gift in Christ Jesus. Because we know that we will never be wiped from existence. We will always exist. We'll live forever whether we like it or not. And Lord, we want to live that life with you and in you and not separated from you. Not separated from the fulfillment that can only be found in you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have everlasting life. As we get ready to go today, protect us and keep us safe. Lord, in everything that's going to go on in the next few days, I thank you that you are God. And we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. God, protect us. Keep us safe. Put us in the right place at the right time. Give us wisdom and give us everything that we need for each day. Out of your great love for us, we thank you. We thank you that you give us strength in our bodies. Keep sickness far from us. Preserve us and sustain us. Uphold us with your strong right hand. And I thank you for the peace and the confidence that we can lie down with tonight and every night, knowing that you are our God and we are your people. And you are not the God of the dead, but you're the God of the living. And all are alive to you. In Jesus' name, amen.